If you're looking to sell your private company stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. With more than 4 billion in company approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com slash equity. Hi, and welcome to Equity here at the very close of February. It has been a very fun month for the show. And also, guys, it's been our biggest month yet in terms of downloads. So thanks, everyone who's been tuning in. We really appreciate it. My name is Connie Loises. I'm TechCrunch's Silicon Valley editor. This week, I have TechCrunch's Kate Clark with us. Hello. Crunch-based news is Alex Wilhelm. Hey, guys. And our special guest this week is Jonathan Golden of NEA. Jonathan was formerly the director of product at Airbnb, and he is returning to venture, or he did recently after a nine-year hiatus. Thanks for coming in, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. So great to see you. Um, So there's, as usual, millions of things for us to talk about. One thing that Kate and I were talking about that we thought was particularly interesting is just what a big week it has been for female founders. One of uh, the companies that we had in mind is Third Love, which is a five and a half year old San Francisco based startup that sells bras and underwear over the internet. And it raised $55 million to build out its uh, sizes and product offerings this week. That's a lot of money. Um, the funding was led by L. Catterton, which is an old, like a 30-year-old uh, Greenwich-based investment firm, and Allen and & Company, which I also thought was sort of interesting. What did you guys make of this particular deal? Well, I was excited to see a late-stage round for a female-founded company because I think, you know, we do see a number of deals for female-led startups, but I think what we don't see hardly ever are these late-stage rounds and at valuations that high, which um, Third Love was valued at $750 million. So I think that's really great. That's great. And it had, I think, raised just $13 million in advance. Jonathan, is NEA an investor in Third Love? NEA is an early investor in Third Love. Okay, great. We're very supportive of Heidi and David. Uh, They build an amazing business. And they're married, the the founders. Right, right. right. And you can see e-commerce continue to outperform in the direct-to-consumer landscape. A lot of these models, though, are also starting to think about other acquisition channels, not just direct-to-consumer online, Mm -hmm. but also thinking about even moving more towards the physical world. And so, Third Love isn't doing this just yet, but we're starting to see a handful of these companies actually start to acquire customers in the physical presence. Uh, an example of that could be Everlane going direct to to consumers mm-hmm. in retail as well in mm-hmm. a handful. Yeah, actually, I was interested in, in the fact that it hasn't done that yet. And I, I don't know if it's sort of indicated whether or not that's um, part of the plan, but there's another New York-based lingerie company called Adore Me. Mm-hmm. And I'd seen that founder talking to some outlet maybe in the last you know month or two. And she was basically saying they their plan is to establish retail stores. I think she was saying, you know, Victoria's Secret has something like 1,200 stores around the country. And maybe Jeez. the world doesn't need – yeah, exactly. Maybe mm-hmm. the world doesn't need 1,200 retail stores, but maybe 200 to 300 makes sense. Uh, so it's interesting. I wonder if we'll see a race at some point to establish a physical presence. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about if these stores that these big DTC brands build out will be mostly kind of like just places a few people go in to see what they want to see they couldn't see online mm-hmm. or if they'll be – the actual big sales channels for these brands because that could impact margins if a lot of their uh, sales move offline. There's more overhead associated with it. Um, I don't really have a, a, a guess per se, but I'm really curious about how that will mature over the next couple of years. Well, the direct-to-consumer brands are taking a different strategy on retail. They're normally not holding inventory at those locations. And so it's more of an asset light model even versus traditional retail. That's interesting. Although this, this um, sort of sector in particular, I would think maybe would lend itself to a more traditional model because lingerie bras uh 
you know, their women's bodies are obviously so different. And mm-hmm. I think the reason this brand is taking off is because it caters to so many different um, body types. But I still think if given the opportunity, women might want to try this stuff on, you know. Yeah, I mean, it does seem that way. And there are actually a lot of startups um, very similar, I think, to mm-hmm. Third Love. There's what you mentioned. There's Harper Wild. There's True & Co. And that, to me, they all seem like pretty similar tech-enabled direct-to-consumer lingerie companies. So mm-hmm. it will be mm-hmm. interesting to see kind of them begin launching brick-and-mortar stores, which seems to be like what the future is there. Yeah, there's definitely a big market that they're chasing. Mm-hmm. Another really interesting woman-led startup that we were tracking this week is Dipsy. Kate, you wrote about this. I'd never heard of this company. I think it's super interesting. Tell us a little bit about it. Dipsy is an app um, with erotic audio. So you can um, log onto the app and listen to kind of like these like snackable episodes um, of auditory erotica uh, catering to women specifically. So all it's all narratives that are written uh, with women in mind and with, um, you know, meant to stimulate women. Uh, so really awesome company. It launched in December. It uh, They just raised a five and a half million dollar round from Bedrock and Thrive Capital, which is Josh Kushner's venture capital firm. Um, It's led by two women. Let's see. It's Gina Gutierrez and Faye Keegan. So yeah, um, I think, uh, you know, we don't see a lot of companies like this. I've definitely never seen something this specific at the intersection of um, entertainment and sex tech uh, catering to women. So when you say snackable, what does that mean exactly? Are these just, is it storytelling or can you tell us a little bit about more about the content? Yeah. So uh, when I say snackable, I mean they're about 10 minutes long. Okay. Um, so, you know, the way that they explained it to me is like you could listen to it in the car ride home if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. You know, you could listen to it um, just like while lying in bed. It's 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 meant to fit into your life. They have two different sort of uh, bits of content. One is just like pure erotica. So like, you know, just meant to help women mm-hmm. stimulate themselves. Mm-hmm. The other is guided episodes that are meant for maybe like couples to help. Oh, um, okay with intimacy. Mm-hmm. So, well, interestingly, so this is the sort of company that you might think on an intellectual level, um, male VCs wouldn't necessarily appreciate. But the founders said that, in fact, the exact opposite was true, that sort of, I guess, when they were pitching the story, men who have all kinds of resources available to them were kind of surprised that something like this, there, there, there isn't more sort of content focused on women. So I guess they kind of, you know, got it immediately, uh, which is... Yeah, I mean, it's all news. this round is... Um, all male faces. Well, one woman I saw as an investor happens to be Heidi Zach of Third Love, who we were just talking about, one of the co-founders. So right. Yeah. Of- there were some angel investors mm-hmm. clarified. There were a lot of angel investors in the round, but Bedrock and Thrive, the two partners from those, um, I believe, were both male VCs. But yes, that, that's that's funny. That's what a coincidence. Yeah, isn't it? I, I like that, you know, making money and supporting other female mm-hmm. founders along the way. Um, another company, which I thought was sort of interesting as a parent, is Rockets of Awesome. Alex, you wrote about this one. Yeah, yeah. I've been tracking it a little bit. I was uh, I was curious about the round size and also who was part of it. So Rockets of Awesome raised a $19.5 million round. And notably, Foot Locker, a brand that I've known about, I think, my, my whole life, put in $12.5 million of that, according to uh, what I've been reading. So it's a really kind of like large investment from a corporate uh, company as opposed to just a pure VC. And going back to our discussion of Third Love, some of this money will go into Rockets of Awesome first physical location. So they are making that mm, jump cool. from the internet into the IRL world. Uh, and I think they raised about $49 million since inception back in 2016. Now, this is a company aimed at kids, which I do not have yet. But if my understanding is that it's a way to almost subscribe to clothing for kids. That way you can kind of keep up with their growth and also keeping them uh, not full of patches and grass stains as they grow up. But <laughs> Connie, um, you do have kids. So is this something that might fit into your life? 
I do have kids. Well, so one thing here that I think, I don't know, I, I don't know, Jonathan, if you follow the company. Um, so Rockets of Awesome is sort of like a stitch fix for kids, right? The sending packaged um, goods to parents with a selection of clothes that I think they can keep or, you know, send back if they, they don't like them. I think the company makes its own clothes to sort of um, keep its margins as high as possible. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, as a parent, I will say there is a smaller window than parents might anticipate. I mean, I have two boys. I thought I would be able to dress them however I liked until they went to college. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> I was totally wrong. I mean, I swear, like as of maybe first or second grade, they both started deciding based on what their peers were wearing, what they were going to wear. So like out went button downs and all the sort of cute gang things I had bought mm. for them. And like in came like these like you know, like metal t-shirts, basically precursors to them. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Um, I just think it's probably very perfect for maybe a, a narrow band of time. Connie, mm-hmm. I have three kids. Oh, you do? And, okay. You uh, look you look too young. To <laughs> thank you. Thank you for sharing that. The, the, the second go around was, was twins. Uh. Uh, so we actually received three boxes uh, of a, another subscription service uh, a couple which days is, ago. Which is what? Uh, Mac and Mia. Okay. Uh, but but we have tried several. Okay. And uh, we do find it very, very useful because obviously when they're so young, right. they're growing out of the clothes so fast. Right. And the last thing anybody wants to do right now is go to a retail retail store and Absolutely. shop for somebody else. Right, right, right. Normally, mm-hmm. if you're going to go do that, you would hope that that would be spent maybe on yourself. Right. Uh, so we have found it useful, but but I do agree with you. It will be uh, <laughs> much sooner than we anticipate that they'll want to pick out their own clothes. Right, right, right. Yeah, and just to throw some more names into the mix. So I think General Catalyst uh, has invested, Forerunner Ventures, August Capital, and uh, notably also Gwyneth Paltrow. So kind of keeping the celebrities involved in the startups theme alive. Um, and I just think it's really cool to have this aimed at people that have kids because I've heard that kids are time consuming. So anything that's going to really alleviate and make lives <laughs> yeah, better that too. is good, especially because I'm looking down the barrel of having kids in about three years. And so anything <laughs> that's going to make that easier on my life is something that I'm very, very uh, interested in. Right, right. Especially with three, getting them out the door, I'm sure is no, no walk in the park. Hey, everyone. Don't forget, this episode is brought to you by Shares Post. And then one last company we we thought we'd uh, bring up today. I thought this was particularly interesting as somebody who likes the idea of planning parties, but in reality is always sort of surprised by how challenging it is, is a startup called Coterie, which is a nine-month-old startup based in New York that just this week announced $2.75 million in seed funding. The idea here is to create Instagrammable party kits. You can order a variety of kits for a variety of... Um, um, different uh, purposes, you know, friendversaries or um, <laughs> going away, going away parties. And there's not really an apl- a sort of a startup that's already established doing this. I mean, the big players are these legacy players that everybody kind of hates. There's one called Oriental Trading. There's another called Party City. And mm-hmm. as a VC who backed the company said, and I agree with, nobody likes Party City. So <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. That's just rude. Also, can we back up for a minute, uh, Connie? You just blew my mind. Sure. Did you say friendversary? Because that is a, a new concept friendversary what, what is that is that just like yeah friendversary well how yeah. do you know when you met Facebook somebody gives you them all the you time. you clearly don't watch broad city <laughs> i mean i should i know that show is really yeah, good like, you but, okay well um 10 points to founders uh sarah rafa and Lyndon <laughs> ellis for knowing all about friendversaries even though apparently i am the least cool person on the show so there you go oh that brings us actually to something else that we wanted to talk about on the same topic so one thing that we've talked about on this show for a couple years now is the changing ratios inside of who gets funded. Uh, Are more women raising money? Are more women-led companies raising money? 
uh, are the founders more diverse? And it's something that we that we care about, honestly, quite a lot. And this week, there was some data that came out that's proven a little bit controversial in and among ourselves because a study from uh, Rate My Investor and Diversity VC looked at about five years of data and pulled what they claim is 10,000 founders and found some relatively stark and um, sad information, uh, just a couple of data points from the study, and we'll talk about how much we like them in a second. But um, according to this study, 77.1% of founders that received VC were white over the last five years. Just about 1% of venture back founders were black, and women-founded startups picked up about 9% of investments. And I believe that's deal volume, not dollar volume. But before the show, we were, we were talking about this and trying to figure out five years is a long time in venture and things change relatively quickly. And, you know, one thing we were curious about is, is that too long to look back into the past? Because if five years ago is now quite different from what we see today, perhaps this has been skewed in a negative way. And Kate, I think that was kind of something that you were touching on. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wasn't too surprised to see um, any of the data surrounding the race of founders. Um, we know that African-American entrepreneurs, for example, are still receiving like, almost no funding. And that's a huge issue. Um, as far as uh, women-led startups, um, you know, I don't see here what the actual capital invested number was. But I think we agree things are improving, at least anecdotally. And the landscape does seem to be improving just given all the dialogue surrounding, you know, female-led companies, kind of something we we all just discussed here on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it looks good. I, I, I'm not looking at what the actual capital um, invested was, so it's hard for me to to really judge that. Yeah. But um, it's really great to see more studies coming out um, highlighting yeah. this major... Um, so picking up off of that, Axios had a really interesting study that came out earlier uh, in February, and they were looking at the percent of uh, women decision makers at US venture capitalists. So what percent of kind of check writing people at US VC firms are women? And in 2016, it was 5.7%. And in 2018, 19, the last data point they point out, it was just about 10%, just under 10%. So that does show some progress, obviously not enough, but at a minimum, uh, the charts are pointing in the right direction. So that feels good. Jonathan, are you just, are you seeing a lot more women making decisions in BC or is this data uh, not matching your experience? The industry has taken a concentrated effort to add more diversity to its ranks. Uh, it started a couple of years ago and it's continuing. There's much more to do if you, the, those numbers are right. Uh, I'd like to see to get to 50% of mm-hmm. the investment committee is actually uh, well diverse, whether that be gender diversity, racial diversity, or other forms of diversity. You definitely enhance the decision-making process by expanding the knowledge set around the table. And that's not just from experiences, but that's also from personal life experience background as well. And that leads to ultimately better outcomes. At NEA, we have five investing partners who lead deals, um, but we obviously are looking for uh, more people uh, to bring into NEA to, to add to the team. It's very important on the investing team to have the diversity because there has to always be that relationship between the the investing team and those founders. And that's ultimately how decisions get made. And so creating that diversity within the investing world is so important to then also ripple effect and translate into more founders getting invested in and getting funded. That's great. Um, Okay. So this week, an interesting company is Motif. So Going back a little bit, we had talked on the show about a company called Zymergen, excuse me, which is in um, Berkeley. It's a five-year-old company that makes molecules for a wide array of uses and industries. Its most direct competitor is this 10-year-old company based in Boston called Ginkgo Bioworks. Um, Both of these companies are sort of so-called unicorns. Now, what's happened is Ginkgo Bioworks has spun out a company called Motif, which just raised $90 million in Series A funding, which is kind of crazy. Uh, but the idea is 
sort of along the same lines as ginkgo and zymogen to produce molecules. So everybody knows Impossible Foods. Uh, it makes this very popular plant-based burger that uh, looks and tastes just like a an authentic uh, beef-based uh, burger. It uses a molecule called heme on which all of its products rely and that it produces in-house. The idea of motif, I guess, is not really to create like another Impossible Foods, but another molecule uh, that it could maybe sell to Impossible Foods or sell to a company that's looking to re- replace eggs. So I, I think it's really interesting. Jonathan, I don't know if NEAs, I imagine, I think all firms are kind of like very focused on the future of food right now. Um, how much time are you guys spending on this? You know, NEA spends a lot of time in a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an area that NEA has spent some time on. We have not made an investment yet. Uh, what's interesting to see here is uh, that Ginkgo Bioworks uh, is spinning off companies, which is uh, not that common mm-hmm. uh, for for a startup to do. And it's amazing to see them couple that with getting the funding for those businesses as well. Uh, so it's an interesting model. Uh, we'll we'll see if they do more, and we'll we'll see if some other companies try to replicate it as well. All right. Before we close out today, I think we should quickly chat about the discounts Uber and Lyft are giving to their um, riders to encourage them to get on the app. The um, both companies are um, offering you know ten percent discounts, fifty percent discounts to a really solid chunk of their riders. Yeah, and you know last week we talked about this on the show, and our guess was this was not going to happen. We didn't think that the companies were going to be willing to take a margin hit this close to going public, but um, literally days after we said that, they jumped into this. Well, I think I think we thought they would be a little bit more focused on profitability at the you know, you know as they inch toward their IPOs, and by doing this, they really are burning through cash. I mean, it's it's expensive for them to subsidize like literally one third, at least one third of their of their rides. So it seems to be like a maybe not the best idea. I but. don't know. You know, it's interesting. I think uh, we we have talked about this even in the more distant past. Years ago, Bill Gurley had warned that the biggest danger with one of these companies going public was that uh, all the rideshare companies are so sort of well subsidized that they could use their cash reserves to undermine the public um, candidate. So it's interesting that these are two companies that are queued up to go public that are doing it against one another. Yeah. um, Jonathan, do you have any thoughts on whether this will actually impact, make any real impact? Well, if this is happening, you may be able to see some external data points that may show that one or another of these companies is gaining market share or trending to gain market share. But when the financials come out and the financials come out on a quarterly basis three months later, you're going to see this in the numbers. And so people are going to understand how this affects the business. And so ultimately, I don't think it affects the valuation of the business in the longer term. I think right now Lyft has 34% market share and Uber has 66% market share. Interestingly, I think their biggest customers, though, um, are still their drivers. And today they also both announced or it was reported in the Wall Street Journal that they're going to be trying to help their drivers to buy in at yeah. their IPOs. I think it's a lot sort of more an optics thing. There's not a lot of money that's going to go to the drivers that's going to enable them to buy shares at the IPO. But it's still a really nice gesture and smart when you think about really who they are truly relying on, which yeah. is not public shareholders, but their drivers. And uh, speaking of Uber, um, reports came out today that it's in the process of potentially acquiring Kareem. Maybe something we can talk about next week. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. And a big thank you to our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, and we will see you all right here next week.